Welcome to another episode of Football Frenemies. We are here to react to all of the Week 3 matchups. We've got a killer slate looking ahead to Week 4. I know Tool Time Thomas is really excited for that Notre Dame-Ohio State matchup. I'm even excited for that one. But we are not going to skip ahead too fast because this past week of games, a lot of people were saying it was a snoozer. A lot of people were saying these aren't really games worth watching. Not so fast. A lot of great games. A lot of ugly games, but hey, that's what we love about college football. Cody, how are you feeling about these week three matchups? I mean, college football is legit the biggest love-hate relationship out there. I don't think there's a bigger one than that because, just like you said, everyone was talking about what a terrible week, the weakest lineup, there's not any good games, and it just ended up being thriller at basically each hour of games throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Ones that it became can't miss, whether it was starting off with Florida State in BC or all the way, if you stayed all the way up to 2 p.m. Eastern time to watch Colorado and Colorado State. It was absolutely amazing. And then, unfortunately, I had the thought this morning when I woke up of just how great the games were and college football finally now feels like a normal part of our everyday lives again. Mm-hmm. And then I realized the regular season is already 25% over. And I kind of just had like a bit <laughs> of a gut hit, you know, straight to the heart. Like, oh, I'm not ready to already start thinking that way because it legit is just, we're already three games yep. in for everybody. And it feels like not that long ago, we were waiting months for college football. And every year it feels like week six sneaks up on you faster than you think about. And I'm not ready to even think about week six. So there is a little bit part of me that's just, it's going way too fast, but part of us, we've played such weak schedules that everyone is ready for a real opponent. And Michigan gets that in what, week nine? (laughs) Whenever you guys play Penn State. Do not sleep on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. They are a wagon. The undefeated (laughs) Rutgers. Scarlet Knights, who have beaten what two Power Five teams? They've played, played two more played Power Five teams than Michigan. Tougher Rank schedules. them two. Yep. Uh, Rank them two. So yeah, we're not we're not overlooking the Scarlet Knights. Got respect for for those guys over Piscataway. Uh, that hmm. that's a you said a love hate relationship. That's the trouble with college football. You only get twelve guaranteed Saturdays to watch your team, and then after that you look forward to the next twelve after a long off season. But we're not going to talk about that now. Uh, we're going to try to keep it more positive. And, yes, I was one of those sickos who stayed up till 2 o'clock in the morning watching a Colorado team that I don't care that much about, but I was still watching because it was on and I was going to absorb as much college football as possible. So we have taken in these games. Cody already mentioned uh, one of those, that, that FSU game. I was uh, – <laughs> Cody was texting me about how I almost lost my – my big playoff team. I've been big on FSU. I texted back. I was cheering for Boston College. So uh, that's that's the the glory of it all. Even if it burns down your offseason takes, to see a giant fall is always a glorious spectacle. So we're, we're going to get into our week three storylines. What are some of the big things we've seen? Uh, Cody, I'll have you go first. What's your big overarching storyline that you want to talk about? Well, speaking of offseason takes, there's something that you gave me a lot of crap for when I even presented this idea. But I think it is proven to be 
very, very possible this year. And three weeks in, I feel like as of right now, it's safe to say the SEC is indeed wide open this year. That trying to predict the actual winner is going to be pretty difficult. I'm still very comfortable with calling Georgia the number one favorite to repeat and defend and probably go on to the playoff, but they're not the Georgia team of 2021 and 2022. I think it was very evident when they played South Carolina. I think at the end of the day, their quality as a program showed out as that game finished, but I think the SEC is going to be all over the place. Like, I, what, do, what do we do with LSU when we saw the LSU that showed up at Florida State and you see the LSU that showed up at Mississippi State this past weekend? Like, it's just, like, it's, it's, it's so bipolar. And I feel like we still don't even really know what Alabama is right now. Florida might be better than we anticipated. And Graham Mertz is looking like he's not the worst QB in the SEC. In fact, he might even be in the upper half and yeah. looked a lot better than Joe Milton. A lot. Um, you got a couple teams sneaking in there that are still undefeated in Ole Miss and Auburn. And I was really hoping Arkansas would squeak out that one against BYU so I could get that take right. But <laughs> BYU ended up getting them at, at the last second. So another big, another big win for the Big 12, ironically, um, over the SEC. But, I mean, I, I feel like it's safe to say that there's, it's clearly not a two-team race to win the SEC this year. Um, and I feel like there's chances for Georgia to slip. Like I told you, South Carolina was going to be one of those early tests. Now, Georgia pulled away, but that game was 14-3 to in Athens, Georgia mm -hmm. at halftime. And that was kind of the point that I was trying to stress. Yes, you saw Georgia's quality eventually went out comfortably by 10 points but at the end of the day this isn't a win by 30 and 40 over your sec foes georgia's gonna have to legit grind because even a team like missouri is three and oh after setting a record on the longest field goal in the history of the sec and so i th i think for these top few teams it's gonna be an actual grind for them to get back and i'm not sure that there's any team that will be undefeated in the sec by the time the end of the regular season comes well, the one issue is that I think the reason that the SEC is more wide open, like you're saying, is that the SEC is down. And uh, mm -hmm. so for Georgia, a lot of people were circling the Georgia-Tennessee game. After watching a lot of that Florida-Tennessee game, I'm very comfortable saying that Georgia will not struggle against Tennessee. And that was supposed to be their marquee matchup. It is, but it is in Knoxville still. They do have to go to Knoxville. That doesn't matter to me. If if that the Tennessee team that I watched a little bit, they played Austin P last week. They struggled. They couldn't score, and then they I couldn't know. score against Florida. This this Georgia team, yes, they struggled against South Carolina, who is not a good team, by the way. Uh, Spencer Rattler actually had impressed me a little bit, but the offensive lines and the defensive line for South Carolina is terrible. And he's Georgia, got nothing else there. Georgia is just. Uh, they're just a step above. The thing is, last year, Georgia won the national championship and had games where they struggled against Missouri. They struggled against, I believe it was Akron or some other MAC school that they really struggled against. So it's not uncommon Kent for State. Georgia. Kent State. It's not uncommon for them to struggle against a lesser opponent. I'm not going to say that 
I would predict a loss for Georgia in any of their upcoming games, especially when I've seen these other teams look worse than anticipated. And in the West, yeah. like you said, what what do you make from LSU? Hard to say, but I still think they're probably the the cream of the crop in the, in the SEC West. We'll see after this week because there's a team that might be ready to say something about that. <laughs> we'll we'll see, uh, but yeah, it, I still think that you're looking at probably a three team race. Alabama's looking very poor, but at the same time, uh, they've only got the one loss. They're not eliminated yet, and the one loss is out of conference this year. Mm-hmm. It's very true. Yeah, for me, just the final thing I'll say is, like, there is all that about Georgia, but for me, it's more about just the entire conference in in general. Like, you're right. It is it is down, but the top teams are also not these world beaters like they used to be. Like, I, I, I think there's five or six teams around the country right now you could stack up against Georgia and not be surprised if they beat Georgia right now. I think that's very fair to do. I think Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State all have a very good chance of beating Georgia right now. Um, and so, like, yeah, it's just, like I said, the likelihood is it probably will be Georgia LSU, but I do honestly think it's going to be a wild ride, and I don't think either of them will have secured it till the end of the SEC schedule. That, that's that's true. Uh it is fun to see the SEC struggle, I'll be honest, being a, a Big Ten fan. But oh, yeah. I still think by the end of the season, once they've ironed out some issues, gotten some quarterbacks a little more comfortable, the talent is going to be hard for some of these other teams that are hot now to overcome. Uh, I'm going to move on to my big storyline, and I think it was really what shocked me this week. Everything, except for a, a couple games – for some big-time schools, for the contenders, the guys that you think might have a shot to make the playoff. It was all about surviving and advancing. It felt like a March Madness round one game where you're fighting against a Cinderella school, and they're making a lot of threes. And you're kind of sweating a little bit, like, (laughs) are we going to be a Purdue as a one seed? Are we going to be a Virginia as a one seed to get knocked off by this little Mac school? And a lot of teams went right down to the wire, the FSU-Boston College game. That was almost horrible for FSU. That could have been the game that knocks them out of the playoff. You cannot lose to Boston College. And they probably should have. And Boston College did everything wrong. They had, I think, 18 penalties for like 190 yards, and they still were in the game. And then they had a chance to stop Florida State, and they end on a face mask. I don't understand how you – Feel the face mask, you still start pulling, but I don't know. I'm not a college football player, so. But that, I'm still upset about it, and I hope Boston College is, and they'll maybe improve, but a lot of games like that. So survive and advance is my storyline. Michigan did it. Georgia did it. Alabama did it. Uh, Texas. Texas struggled with Wyoming. Oh, boy. Dude, those Wyoming Cowboys, man, <laughs> they almost, that was almost their second win over uh Big 12 Texas team. That would have been wild if them Cowboys could have. It would have been poetic. It really would have been the true Texas form to beat Alabama, then lose to Wyoming. Uh, <laughs> I think maybe the more apt way to go around it is who, who didn't struggle, rather, uh, who was impressive. And there's really only, mm-hmm. I think, two that come to mind. There might be some others. But maybe you can help me out here. Who did you think really came out of their contests as a contender and put their stamp on week three and said, yeah, we're for real. It's tough to say because 
there wasn't really a team that got a win over a big team. I think the number one is Washington. That was my number one. They just Se- over they 700 so yards clean. of offense. Michael Penix is averaging 444 passing yards a game right now, 11.5 yards per drop back. Just they look very, very dangerous. They look complete. They just they have looked so much better. Are Boise State and Michigan State teams to brag about? Absolutely not. But it's the degree that they have looked yep. so much better. Like think of, you know, Ohio State early on with Indiana, and then even with Youngstown State. You know, look at Michigan with their few opponents so far. Look at Georgia with who they've played. You know, there's been a little bit of the struggle. There's been some of the things that we just don't like, and we're like, why are we just not cleaner and more efficient? And then you got Washington just pummeling teams Mm -hmm. week after week after week so far. Um, I was looking on ESPN, and Bill Connolly, who does the – is it the SP – rankings yeah. sp plus rankings and right now his sp top 10 if preseason projections were removed washington is number one right now sounds about right they've they've just been a absolute machine mm-hmm. of efficiency uh yeah. and their defense has I improved do. too yeah yeah like their their defense is getting up there so i mean they 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 are they are no joke they pack 12 teams should be scared of them and if they get into the playoffs I think any team who has to deal with Penix should be scared with them. Um, just being honest, I think the only other team, well, there's maybe two other teams that really took care of business. I feel like Ohio State that was my is number one two. of them. Um, you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's a 63 to 10. To me, that just looked more like the Ohio State of old mm-hmm. that you're used to seeing in these non-conference games. Um, I'll touch on more of that when we get into the state of the rivalry. But yeah, Ohio State played a clean game. They played a clean game. If there's one glaring thing, it's that apparently we can't recover fumbles to save our life. Um, (laughs) But they looked good. And to be honest, Notre Dame is still consistently looking good each week. Like they're just, they're not slacking off. Sam Hartman is telling me to shove it every single week. I feel like each week he's going to grow another arm and be able to flip me off with another (laughs) finger for just. He's going to grow another arm and wear it like a necklace. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's just he's gonna keep doing that. He's gonna be like, I heard what you said. And so um and so yeah, he's gonna keep coming at me each week. But we'll really we'll really get to see what him and McCord are both made of. It's uh it's I'm looking forward to that I game. Mean, it, it it does it not feel like the biggest non conference game of the season now? Like I would say so. I feel like yeah. a I feel like a playoff spot is on the line. And I mean it's right I up there like with Florida more, State L S U. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's more on the line for Notre Dame than Ohio State because Ohio State could lose this game and still make the playoff mm-hmm. if they won out against the Big Ten. But I think Notre Dame has to beat Ohio State yes. to get into the playoffs, especially because this game is at home. I think they have to win this to get in. You can, you can make your name off of beating Ohio State. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you go back the past two years for Michigan, if Michigan was getting in as maybe an 11 and one big 10 champion, but their wins were coming against everyone, but Ohio state, I could see them still getting left out. Ohio state wins mean the world to the world. And that's going to be big coming up. Uh, this is probably bad podcasting, but it is kind of funny. We are exactly the same. I had Washington, my most impressive team. I had Ohio State my second, and I had honorable mention to Notre Dame uh, because they weren't yes. as 
as clean as they had been, but I still thought, man, they have literally every dimension is rolling. Defense looks mm-hmm. good. Offense looks great. Of course, they're going to be sharp on special teams as Notre Dame. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to that that week four matchup. What's your next storyline, and then we'll uh, we'll move on. It's really the only other one I've got, and it's a hot take. And it's following up all the Washington love right there. Michael Penix is the number one overall pick in the draft in 2024. Oh, that is such a hot take. (laughs) I can see him uh, getting into the first round, but going above Caleb Williams, I think, is literal insanity. It might be, but just... It's it's happened before where the presumed number one pick all year fell. I mean, the 2018 draft, the entire college football season was Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold. And Baker Mayfield ended up going number one to the Cleveland Browns. Now, was that a mistake? Probably, but not between Sam Darnold right. and him, more of the Josh Allen being overlooked. Um the but issue is with just... that is Sam Darnold kind of fell off. Caleb Williams is he due. Did. He has a highlight every game, not just a highlight, something that says that tells you this guy has a very similar style to the best quarterback in the NFL right now. And he has the arm strength. He has the creativity. Yeah. You probably wish he would maybe make his reads a little quicker or not invite as much chaos around him. But man, the guy's electric and electricity Sells hope, sells tickets, and uh, fans are, and GMs, I think, will love Caleb Williams. So I, I cannot see anyone, anyone going above him. I think he's bordering on generational. But, yeah, Penix is fantastic. I, do I don't have think any complaints. The only thing with Caleb Williams you can say, though, is, I mean, which of these Lincoln-Riley QBs are really actually working out great? Kyler Murray is, without a doubt, a bust. And can you say Baker Mayfield is not living up to his number one billing? He might be in a renaissance season or he's kind of having his own revenge tour right now, as he said. But I mean, he's not the number one pick. I mean, the only one you can really point to is Jalen Hurts. But you could also claim he's really more falling back on his Alabama roots rather than. I mean, I think uh, I think you could still claim him. But I think if you take those three guys and you say, what's the difference between those three guys, I'd say with Jalen Hurts is the head on his shoulders. With uh, what's his face, the small one, Caleb. Uh, no, not Caleb. Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray. I mean, the guy doesn't take football seriously. They had to write into his contract that he needs to watch film. He only wants to play Call of Duty, double XP weekends. Uh, and Baker Mayfield, obviously, I think got a little bit too much of the the shine that maybe he lost a little focus, and we might see some of that come back. I don't think either Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield are talent issues as much of maybe they just need to mature issues, and some guys just never do. So we'll see with those guys. I don't think anyone would say Kyler Murray doesn't have the ability because you see it. He makes those highlight plays, and even he, man, with the speed, with he's got a great arm, great accuracy. The guy just doesn't really care that much. So I, I don't blame Lincoln Riley. Uh, Caleb Williams, I guess you could – maybe say that he might have the a little bit of a lust for the limelight like a baker mayfield uh but i haven't seen anything that would scare me off if i was a scout not yet but think about his his dad might be 
peeling back the curtain a little bit. They're literally talking about they might skip the NFL draft for NIL money. Like, I don't know. When I saw that, I started to get a little bit of, okay, maybe there is a little bit of a drama queen or ego to that while Penix is just a, a golden boy with a magical left arm. And who doesn't love a team with a great left-handed quarterback? Like, that's just, that's more fun to watch. But um, we're both idiots. We know that. But I think moving on for us, when we find out there's a bigger idiot than the two of us combined, I think that means that's content we need to talk about. And so uh, there is someone just a little bit north of you who has proven to be very, very stupid. And it might be a good segue to start talking about uh, this little bit of this problem this <laughs> Michigan State coach has got going on oh, right boy. now. Yeah, that's just – when that story hit, it, it hit – Late. I don't know why they decided that right around 1230 or midnight was the best time to hit publish on a story about a, a coach sexually harassing a, uh, a rape survivor and uh, activist. But boy, when it hit, I read this report and my eyes got bigger and bigger in every detail. I was like, this story cannot be real. Uh, regardless of what happened, I think it's very safe to say Mel Tucker will not coach again for Michigan State. Now, you could actually quibble whether or not it is good for Michigan State to get out from that contract because it seemed like he was maybe plateauing there. Um, it just seemed like things were derailing quickly. and Maybe the one good season was a mirage because of the greatness of uh, Kenneth Walker. So we'll see. I think they have a chance to maybe get the momentum back, but you have to nail this higher. In fact, there was some talk of the acting interim head coach, Harlan Barnett, who head coached against Washington, that if maybe he steadies the ship, maybe he's our guy. I think we can cross that name off the list. Uh, Harlan Barnett was the secondary coach for Michigan State. And when your secondary gets torched by Michael Penix, uh, and you literally look like, He's playing the JV. Uh, your name, we, we're not going to consider Harlan Barnett. We thank you for coming out and for holding the clipboard and for getting just absolutely punished by Washington. So we thank you for your service, Harlan Barnett. Thank you. Get out of here. So let's just talk about, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss one name. I've got two names that I think are honestly like no-brainers if you can get them. I want to toss a name out to you and see what's your thought processes because i think that this coach is like the steroid version of mel tucker okay and i'm not sure if you can get him but he's he'll be coming from a, a inferior conference with a much less lucrative media rights deal can you go out and would you want to go out and get coach prime Really? That is not where I thought you were going with that. Um, oh, man. I There's some parallels there. The guy gets elite players. He's all about getting the talent. He's all about slogans. He says the same thing as Mel Tucker. He says, we coming. Instead of Tuck coming, it's we coming. Yeah. Is it just because they want the next Colorado coach just – Every I mean, time. another is, Colorado is that coach. Why Colorado exists the parallels to, to groom their coaches are undeniable. See, I think Michigan State would obviously be very wise to go after him. Um, I 
I think if Dion left Colorado, it's for a a top brand. I think that's why okay, it so- is. I think I think Florida State is a short list of teams that Deion Sanders would probably leave for. As much as he has talked about it, we all know that deep down that's got to be where he wants to be. Uh, he's also from Texas. He's from the Fort Worth area, so I wouldn't be shocked if um, a big Texas job came open if he would ever want that. Um, I just, I, I couldn't see him leaving, especially after one year, because I, I can't remember what talk show I was listening to, but they made a great point that next to Shador and Shiloh, Travis Hunter is basically a son to him. And Travis cannot go pro this year. He's mm-hmm. a true sophomore. And I think Dion is in Colorado for at least two years because I don't think he would leave Travis or I don't think he would want to make Travis Hunter transfer again and play in three different programs for his three years in college. And so I think Dion is for sure going to have two seasons in Colorado and we'll see which job opens. But if I'm Michigan State, yeah, of course I'm throwing around the fact hey look at the money we paid mel tucker what do you think we'll pay you yeah um and so i i think it'd be wise for michigan state to go after that i just i can't see it happening especially this year if this had happened next year i could see a lot bigger possibility of that but i mean what any coach has to think about do you really want to step into the fire with michigan and ohio state right now and even penn state do you do you really want to step into that with USC and UCLA and Oregon and Washington with all four of those teams looking really good right now? It's, you know, Do you really want to step into that when he could be the king of the Big 12 next year at Colorado? Legitimately could be the king of the Big 12. Uh, so you said he was looking for, if he's going to leave, a top tier or I'm not sure what exact words you used, but basically a upper echelon school. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you saying that you don't think Michigan State can be that? Because uh, we go back in history, you know, maybe under Mark D'Antonio, Michigan State really ran through the Big Ten for a while there. Uh, a couple Big Ten championships where they were the second Big Ten team to make the playoff. Obviously, they've fallen off. But are, do you think that the ceiling, based on the current landscape, has dramatically lowered? I don't think it's really changed. I think they just are what they are. They should be a top 25 program in the country every year. And to me, that's the ceiling. I mean, look what happened when they did get to the playoff. They got boat raced. It wasn't competitive. And to be honest, we know they shouldn't have been in the playoff that year. Everyone knew they shouldn't have been. Everyone knew it should have been Ohio State, but just the way it works, I do. They just deserve to be in. And just the way the season went, like, yeah, they went 11 and 1. They won in Columbus. They won the Big Ten. Yeah, based on that, they should have gone. But we, we, everyone knew they weren't one of the four best teams when, when they walked in the playoff. And so they have an ability to be a top 10 team uh, on some years. But I just, I, I think there's just, there's, there's too many things in the way to be one of those top five or six programs. I mean, it, I'm not going to say it's not possible. I just, I really don't see it, especially with Michigan in-state and then Ohio State is just, you know, four hours south of them. I think I, I think there's too much in the way to really be one of these premier programs, but I don't see why they shouldn't be in the top 20 every single season. 
All right. So my first one was, was Coach Prime. I think if you're any school that is hiring, you make the call. I don't think it's likely, but, uh, you know, everyone's got to take a Hail Mary now and then. My top two contenders, and I, I maybe have an honorable mention uh, that maybe we'll throw in there. Two guys I think that you absolutely should call is uh, Coach uh, Chris Kleiman from Kansas State. That's a good one. Uh Kansas State just won the the Big 12. I know they did lose this weekend, but they run a good program, and I think he would fit really well at Michigan State. And then the other one is another Big 12 guy, Lance Leipold, the coach at Kansas. And uh, especially if you were to maybe – I know Noah Kim's looking good, but if Coach Leipold came and then Jaden uh, – what's his last name? Help me out. Their quarterback. Oh, Jay, it's Jalen Daniels, Jaylen. not Jaden Daniels. Jalen Daniels. Daniels is fantastic. If they could maybe get him to follow his coach for maybe his grad transfer year, that'd be electric. So I love him. And then maybe my honorable mention is uh, Pat Narduzzi at Pitt. I don't love him. I think his time has passed. I don't love him, but he's got the MSU connection. He did win the ACC a few years back. Uh, He wanted to coach at (laughs) Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison. Uh, And they had some good defensive pieces too, but – yeah. You get credit as I don't the know, coach. For me, that's that's my honorable me, mention. Honestly, okay. For me, the list is one name. It's one name only, and I think the timing couldn't be more perfect to land it. And it's Jonathan Smith from Oregon State. It's a good name, and especially uh, with uh, Oregon State in limbo. Exactly. They have no conference. They're not going to be in a power five. He's proving himself to where, to be honest, he has probably done more to earn that contract than Mel, Mel Tucker. Tucker has. Or at least he's <laughs> knocking on the door, too. Because, like I said, Mel Tucker did go 11-2, and two, did win Peach Bowl or whatever it was. Um, and so, I mean, he did get that. But, I mean, Jonathan Smith has proven year in and year out. And he's proving that even at Oregon State, he made a guy like DJU like a desirable place for him to transfer. So we've seen that he can go out and get guys in the portal. He can recruit, he can develop. And I, I think his style of play is very much what Michigan state fans want from their program. You know, being a very hard hitting smash mouth team. They've mm-hmm. got good lines. The quarterback should be able to make plays with his arm when it's necessary. I think Jonathan Smith is a very good fit for Michigan State, and I think it's the perfect moment to get him with all these teams leaving, the Pac-12 disappearing, and Jonathan Smith might be, okay, Oregon State was what I needed it to be. I'm going to go to a Big Ten team, and now with those divisions going out, I don't have to play, I don't have to play Ohio State every year. i got to play Michigan, but that's the standard at Michigan State is beating Michigan. And, so, and then he knows those Pac-12 teams coming in. Like UCLA, USC, Oregon, they're not going to scare him because he's played them. And they beat Oregon last year. They barely lost to USC. I don't know if they lost to UCLA, but, I mean, they've been right there. So, I mean, those teams aren't going to worry him. He'll know how they play. So, I to me, Jonathan Smith should be the clear number one target for Michigan State. And I, unless number two is prime... <laughs> I think there should be a big gap between what is. I think they should be going balls to the walls for Jonathan Smith. Uh, he's a fantastic coach, and I think Michigan State would do very well to get him. My only question is, and, and I'm not, I don't have the answer. Has he had success 
traditionally against his main rival. He beat him last year. I mean, yeah, but he's been there for a while. And Michigan Honestly, State, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you how long he's been there. Because you said it, Michigan it State is a is a is a school that expects to come in and spring an upset basically every year against Michigan. It's what they they've learned to do under Mark D'Antonio. Mel Tucker has a winning record against Michigan, and uh, if you come in. And you're unable to beat Michigan if it's not a skill set that you have to beat the more talented team. Michigan State will struggle with that. That's their Super Bowl, and they embrace that. So that's the one thing is you want a coach that's going to be up for that big game against a superior talent, uh, superior talented foe. Yeah, you. I mean, you need that to be. But if you look at his record since 2018, you see consistent development. To yep. where they're getting. So his first year, they were two and ten. Then they were five and seven. Twenty twenty came, COVID record. They were two and five. But if you look at Michigan and Harbaugh, you're looking that doesn't really matter. Twenty twenty one, they were seven and six. Twenty twenty two, they were ten and three. And right now they're three and zero in two thousand twenty three. So you are looking at a very steady incline at Oregon State. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's no reason why he wouldn't be able to do that. At Michigan State, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, I think maybe they ought to hire the uh, football frenemies search committee. We could find find a great name for them. Uh, but for now, they're to do that. They are stuck with uh, Coach Harlan Barnett and uh, Mark D'Antonio is going to stand on the sidelines and look upset while they go down forty three zero and then get a sad touchdown at the end against Washington. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the state of the rivalry. We're going to introduce the confidence scale, uh, how, we're, how we're feeling now about that upcoming game in November. And I'll, I'll just go ahead and start it off. Michigan sucked. Michigan straight up sucked against Bowling Green. It was one of the more frustrating and sloppy performances I've seen from Michigan in a while. J.J. Uh, McCarthy who has, is coming off two of the most efficient performances in Michigan football history from a quarterback, played, I believe, his worst game as a Michigan quarterback. His PFF grade was in the 40s, where it has been in the 90s. It was like Jekyll and Hyde. And that's kind of the story of J.J. McCarthy. He has these fantastic games, and then he turns into the bad version, where he throws the ball into triple coverage. He, do, he doesn't throw it out of bounds. He makes the wrong read. It's like you don't even recognize the guy. And it just makes you wonder about the quarterback coaching and development at Michigan. And I know that they hold stuff back, and I know that they're not playing their best football now. And it's not even taking me off of the position I've had in the offseason, that Michigan is the best team in the Big Ten. But it's very concerning. Uh, I tweeted today, this was the first time since 2017 that Michigan football did not eclipse 40 points in a non-conference game. And if you go back to 2017, that was a very bad season for Michigan. It was kind of the beginning of the downfall of Harbaugh, where it kind of accumulated in 2020, where it all blew up. 2017 is where you kind of started to see the cracks. And uh, you you don't want to make a comparison to 2017 in a year where you're you have national title aspirations. So I would say... Going to the state of the rivalry, my confidence scale in week 
one was probably at a not uh, i'll go back week zero before the games i was probably at a nine feeling good about that upcoming game in november against ohio state then i watched ohio state and i was thinking oh man in week one michigan looked pretty good and ohio state i thought didn't look very good that went up to 9.5 stayed the same 9.5 in week two i think i'm going to go down to about a six because that was the old Michigan that I saw. It looked uninspired. It looked like players didn't really care. And uh, coaches were looking like they didn't know what they were doing. Hopefully Harbaugh being back next week will be a steadying presence. But I also expect it to be a slower kind of slugfest against Rutgers. And that shouldn't be the case when you have the talent that Michigan has. So right now feeling a little discouraged as a Michigan fan. I know that you're not allowed to do that in the – the Twitter sphere. If you're a Michigan fan, you're supposed to just say everything's rainbow and butterflies and sunshine, but that was terrible. Uh, the one thing that I wish maybe people put more stock in is when you put on the winged helmet, the, the maize and blue is you have the opportunity to basically set the vibes for an entire state. And you can be the the reason people that whole week are literally foaming at the mouth for the next matchup or like indifferent or almost afraid or nervous. It is a privilege and they go out there under the lights and they play like that. And the coaches coach like that. Unacceptable. So we're hoping that the confidence scale goes up. And on the other side, Cody's going to tell us what he's feeling, but man, what I watched against, um, Oh crap. Who'd you guys play again? Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky, who I foolishly thought, I mean, I got sucked in by the Hilltopper, that McDonald's character, he fooled me. I thought they were going to put up a fight. I thought they were going to cover. I was wrong. Ohio State kicked their butts. They named Kyle McCord the full-time starter, and he ran with it. Cody, take it away. What's the state of the rivalry over in Columbus? I think that was the biggest piece was just naming the starter. I think not just the quarterbacks, especially Kyle McCord, but the team themselves, just they finally know what they are, who their guy is, who they need to look to. Easiest example is go back to 2015 Ohio state when we couldn't name a starter to save our lives. And it was just, you could tell you were like, what is up with this team? You're so talented. And yet they looked like, almost like scrubs for a majority of that season. And so I, I think there was just so much stuff that was put to rest and put behind them with just coming out and naming Kyle McCord the starter. Um, he looked so much more comfortable. He looked so much more carefree. He looked so much more confident in the throws that he could make downfield. He still missed a couple easy throws. So there is still some hesitations, but... I do have to remember this This isn't C.J. Stroud, who is just accurate with every pass that he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did feel – I did like what I saw from McCord. The one thing I really liked that until the game got taken away and it was obvious we were in clear control not giving up, I loved the focus on Travion Henderson. I still think he is one of the best-kept secrets – in college football for what his talent really is. You could say what you want about it being Western Kentucky, but that first touchdown, 
when that stretch play started, the first thing I said was, great, another stretch play where we got tackled behind the line of scrimmage. Then the next thing you know is he's crossing the end line mm-hmm. in like a blink of an eye. He really is that fast, that explosive. Like if he turns the corner on you, he's gone mm-hmm. and you're not going to catch him. And we focused on him in the pass game. We put a big emphasis on the run game. Uh, it was like third and four in the on like the six yard line. And instead of passing it, we handed it off to him. He bulldozed his way in for a touchdown. Henderson looks healthy. I think the offensive line is getting a little bit more confidence each week. You know, I'm still not going to sit there and claim that they're the bee's knees by any mean, but I, I liked the way that they made progress. It felt like as a team across the board, we made progress and that was exciting to see. We knew Western Kentucky was going to find some success in the air early on. I think a lot of teams do that in big games when you have all this time to prepare and you come in with all these emotions. Like you said, even look at Bowling Green. Bowling Green made a couple plays offensively in the first half to get themselves in field goal range. And then, you know, look what happened in the second half. They didn't do anything. You know, same thing with Western Kentucky. They had an experienced quarterback. They had experienced wide receivers in which one or two of them could potentially get uh, either late draft in the NFL or an undrafted free agent and be guys playing on Sundays. Uh, and eventually Ohio State just settled in and they started making plays at the right time. Um, it's really nice to see that even when their quarterback completed a couple passes over 20 yards, they weren't wide open. There were OSU players ready to tackle and not let them just break away right away last year there's a few of those catches that were gone for touchdowns like we wouldn't have had anyone close by and so it's really nice to see that our our athletes are being put in position to be able to make plays and so it was good progress honestly i i completely had us losing to notre dame until this game this game actually showed me that we can be a complete team that we can go into South Bend and that I honestly actually have no problem with us being the favorite because as clean as Notre Dame has looked, at the end of the day, compare the skill position players from Notre Dame to Ohio State. I mean, S to me is a tank, but if you're talking athletes, I would probably still take Travion Henderson. And then when you compare the wide receivers, it's not even close. Literally, their number one receiver that would have came back is now a cornerback on Ohio State, <laughs> Lorenzo Styles. So yeah, he doesn't even play. Yeah, because and I one of the things I texted a buddy because everyone talks about Marvin Harrison Jr. is sometimes I forget how good a Mecca Abuka is. Just he really is an amazing wide receiver, and he gets caught in Marvin Harrison Jr.'s shadow all the time. Also, the fact that Marvin Harrison got clocked at 22 miles an hour is just absolutely insane. So I'm feeling better about Ohio State. I still am iffy on if we can win the Big Ten. The confidence meter I'm at now for the Michigan game is a six. So for me, it was three after the Indiana game. I think it was maybe a four after the Youngstown State game just because McCord looked more comfortable and played more efficient. And this one kind of bumped me up to a six. I'm not going to make a drastic move that because we beat Western Kentucky, I'm not going to go from a four to like an eight or a nine. But I'm comfortable with being at a six because I now think that we could fully go into Ann Arbor and compete and have an opportunity to win that game. The Every, op- every chance Michigan still wins. Uh, but I do now have the confidence knowing that 
we should be competing and at minimum that should be a competitive close game in the fourth quarter based yeah. on what I've seen from Ohio State now. And so that's why I put the confidence meter of a six. I'm over that halfway, but I'm still waiting for that performance where it's like, okay, this is a national contending team that is ready to win in Ann Arbor. And we might get that this weekend at Notre Dame. We might get pummeled. We might even beat Notre Dame and think, okay, we beat Notre Dame, but we still don't look like a team ready to win the Big Ten or mm-hmm. compete for national champions. So I think we could get some answers this weekend, but it's very possible that the results of this game still doesn't really give us the full answers on Ohio State. I, I think I think this is going to be a team where it's we were, we're not a national contending team at the beginning of the season, but we easily can become by the time we get into that final stretch. I think the big thing you said earlier was that it's the first time that Ohio State looked like Ohio State. And in the first mm-hmm. couple of weeks, it was like, I don't recognize this team. If that team rolls into Ann Arbor, they're going to lose by 30 points. And then it's like a, a switch was flipped. And as a Michigan fan, I was very disappointed to see that. As a Ohio State fan, <laughs> that's where your confidence meter doubles. So uh, we'll, yeah. we'll continue to monitor how confident we are, hopefully – Michigan will look better. Hopefully, Ohio State will look worse. To be honest, because I hate those guys. But uh, we'll we'll move we all on. We hate each other. <laughs> What's that? I said we all hate each other. You know, we're all looking for things. You know, I'm curious when we get to that game is who's taking the field at quarterback for Michigan? Is it JJ McCarthy or is it Brett Favre Jr.? And I'm really hoping that it is the latter. the The bigger question is, can JJ McCarthy get there healthy? Because if he's not, we might as well wheel out a used rusty shopping cart because the backup quarterback situation at Michigan is atrocious right now. And uh, they really have no idea what they're doing. And so, yes, if two weeks ago, everyone loved the backup quarterback situation, apparently, but you know, it's, it's not going over well. Time, I guess it's not that all I, all I saw on the discord was just like, Oh, everyone was ready for an orgy and all this stuff. And they now... don't even play them. So yeah, we would love to see an orgy in the end zone. And yet yeah. they, they keep them away from us. They don't give us what we want. <laughs> We're going to go into some highlights for just each conference before we move ahead into the preview for what is to come. I'm going to go ahead and just jump into one highlight from the Big Ten. And this is a team we haven't mentioned too much. I watched the majority of Penn State, Illinois. had a, a friend who was at that game uh, cheering on the Illini. And Penn State, in a game that I thought they looked pretty... Uh, I don't want to say mediocre, but just had a ho-hum day. And they ended just up average. average average, day. Yep. They won 30-13. to 13. That is the mark of a contending team. When you play average and you really run a team out of their own, uh, their own stadium, that really impresses me, especially a team like Illinois who, I mean, they're built in the trenches. They, I think their quarterback, Altmaier, is not, not bad. And – Yes, Penn State should be Illinois. But when you don't have your A or maybe even your B game and you still win by 17, that catches my eye. Uh, mm-hmm. We're looking at uh, Drew Aller had just over 200 yards. No touchdowns, but the key thing, no interceptions. Uh, the big thing that you know we point to with J.J. McCarthy, he throws three interceptions against Bowling Green. When J.J. McCarthy has a bad game, it's a real blow-up situation. Drew Aller's bad game. Just an average ho-hum type thing. It's not explosively bad one direction. So Penn State, even in a bad day, showed me that they are legit. 
I have questions. They mm-hmm. are not. Pl- they didn't play their best, and they need to if they're going to beat Ohio State, if they're going to beat Michigan. But I think they're better than I maybe thought they were going into this season. Possibly. Do you uh, do you have a Brian's Ferentz update? So uh, <laughs> I was able to drop 41 points on Western Michigan, which here's the thing. Mac schools are going to drop more than that on Western Michigan. Western Michigan has Ooh. one of the worst defenses in all of college football, and it took Iowa basically trying to run up the score. I mean, we're at the end of the game, and they are pounding in a touchdown to cover and to get that, that score up, which, you know what, I've been waiting for them to, to do that, so I'm glad they did. But that helped him out. I don't know off the top of my head what he needs to average now, but that did put him – uh, ahead of pace. Uh, say so the end of the day, they have to average how many points per 25 game? Twenty-five points, and they've been just it's under 25. that. Uh, I believe they scored twenty-four in game one, and then game two is right around there, maybe like twenty-one or seventeen. I don't know, but then to score forty-one gets them uh, above the pace. So yes, Iowa, if they can keep it up into Big Ten play. They might be keeping around old Brian Ferentz. Penn State is next. so Penn State's got a much better we'll defense, so that actually might be a pretty big challenge for uh, for our friend Cade McNamara and, and Brian Ferentz. I have a feeling they're going to score less than 20 points in that yeah. one. Yeah. Go so. ahead and take us to the next conference highlight. Nice. Yeah, we'll go with Pac-12. Just the greatest college football conference of all time. It is incredible just the strength and – the magic of the Pac-12. Um, we kind of touched on it before, so I'll just restate it. Washington is a top five team in the country. There's no way they're not, at least at this point right now. They're mm-hmm. a top five team. They are just so balanced. Um, I think the most underrated team in the Pac-12 is UCLA. I think they are very much a contender to win the conference, and we said it last time, and we'll say it again, Dante Moore is going to be a guy he is going to be a guy and he has quickly already put to rest that he is ucla's top option and there is a chance he could end up being the best college quarterback that chip kelly has ever had while he's been there in his tenure and so i think teams need to really be aware of ucla because it's not just him they play pretty good complimentary football yep passing run game and the defense. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how UCLA shakes out um, in the Pac-12 this year. We found out Colorado is mortal. You know, they are not this all-destined team that God has anointed and has put Deion Sanders on it. Now, they did they did find a way to pull away, and yep. they are they are must-watch TV. That's we They are must-watch TV. Like, who would have thought that would have been the case with the Colorado Buffaloes? But um, we found out that they are very... Very mortal. Um, I mean, Colorado State honestly really outplayed them. Just Absolutely. Colorado found a way. Colorado found a way to just take advantage of the situation and turn it into a W. Really, Shador Sanders just found a way. They gave him a chance, and he did show. Like he he is the team. Like He's got that. Dog you can in say him. what you want. You can say what you want about Deion Sanders as the coach. Shador Sanders is the team. He is the guy that everyone should be talking about. And just the other thing I think to note is with all those Pac-12 teams we talked about, I did not mention Washington State. And look at the Wazoo Cougars right now. They are 
kind of cruising up there at 3-0. Ward is a nice quarterback. They've got, what is it, Nakia Watson, the former Wisconsin running back who transferred up there. They got a second straight win over Wisconsin back-to-back years. They look like they're poised to be be one of the teams that causes chaos. Because when we were talking about the preview, you were talking a lot about how you thought the Pac-12 might beat up on each other. And with the way the schedule works, I thought there was a chance for three teams to be 10 and two at worst, maybe even two or three teams at 11 and one, if they kind of just like the top three teams beat each other. But Wazoo is kind of looking like one of these teams that are like, no, we've got something to say about this, that they might grab a team or two. Oregon state might take a team or two. Mm -hmm. And now Colorado might take off one of these teams or two. So at first, I really did think it was going to be like a three-headed monster at top of Oregon, Washington, and USC. But, I mean, UCLA is undefeated. Utah is undefeated still. Just, man, the Pac-12 is legitimately just marvelous. Conference it is of champions. awesome to watch. I have loved watching it so much. So I've just got one question. Is there any chance that the athletic directors get together, that maybe the commissioner pulls them together and says – Guys, look what we have here. Is this worth saving? I think. What are the odds that actually happens? Put it on a scale of one to ten. What are the odds that could actually happen that they just decide this is actually worth saving? We have got something that's worth money. And the other question I have for you is: In order for the Pac-12 to be saved, does a does a TV broadcaster have to be the one to step in and just offer them money in order for them to be saved, or is there any other way? So I believe the the chances, if I go 0 to 10, are probably 0 because it's a done deal. These teams have already signed on the dotted line that they are planning to leave to the Big 12, the Big 10, now the ACC. That's so crazy. Uh, yeah, so unfortunately, this great season is happening one year too late, which is honestly just juicy irony to show us the foolishness of college football that we tear down in a hundred plus year old conference uh, to make more TV money. And in reality, they were great just the way they were. And they're showing us right now, but no, I do not think it is possible uh, just because uh, the, those fat cats in the Fox sports studios and uh, all the other ESPN, all these guys who make money off of television revenue selling their ads so we have to watch four-hour games, change the clock rules so we can watch more commercials. It's all about the money, baby. Right now, the money is not in the Pac-12, even though the the product is fantastic. It's the best college football right now is being played by Pac-12 teams. That's a a take you had in the offseason I scoffed at. And, man, is that looking good for you. We'll see. It's, It's going to age, I think, poorly because they have to face each other. And you're going to have teams that are going to have two, three losses that are going to be better than teams with only one loss in other conferences. It's just the, it's kind of the SEC factor where the SEC used to beat each other up and they would say, well, our four loss Texas A&M is better than your one loss, you know, conference champ. I think that might be the case for the PAC 12. These teams look great. Uh, 
We'll see, but their non-conference is looking good, though. That's the thing that yeah. really helps them. Utah's win over Florida with a backup quarterback all of a sudden looks so much better. <laughs> I don't I know. mean, it's not, it's not like we're eight weeks removed. We're just two weeks removed from I'm not ready to Florida crown Florida. Uh, yeah, I still think that that was kind of too I know. pudgy, uh, you know, has-beens that were slugging it out in the, the bar parking lot rather than two championship belt wearing phenoms no there weren't two championship teams but it makes because like i said honestly at first i thought nothing of utah beating florida but that kind of added a little bit of juice to utah's win just especially with the circumstances they didn't have their quarterback either so um yeah, right. i don't know i'm i'm legit praying i i legit i legit pray that the pac-12 comes back together i i legit pray that it's within the interest of the kingdom of jesus christ that <laughs> the pac-12 comes back and be a conference and just gives us the opportunity to let college football be college football you know i i just think that that would be just that would be too good and i, I don't expect things like that to happen in in this world i uh, know i'm gonna move on to the big 12 and another conference that probably needs a little more shine i want to highlight a team that I wanted to bury because of last year and just have that carry them into this season that they wouldn't be anything. I have been very impressed with Oklahoma. And the fact is I wrote, Oh, go ahead. I wrote on my notes. I wrote on my notes. Ask Brandon is, OU the best team in the big 12. They are going to have a fantastic chance to prove that because number one, they're, they have the easy part of the big 12 schedule. The big 12 is the expanded big 12 this year where they have the Cincinnati's, the Central Florida's, the BYU's. They're playing all these should-be AAC teams, and they're not playing a lot of the better teams in the original Big 12. Now, they do have to play Texas. If they can beat Texas, they're probably going to go undefeated. I mean, this is a Louisville-type schedule. This is a UNC-type schedule where maybe one tough opponent, and after that, you really just have to take care of business. And so Oklahoma is really on my radar as a potential playoff team where I was thinking, uh, you know, their schedule's weak, but I don't believe in them. Maybe they go nine and three, you know, 10 and two at best. And I'm starting to take notice. They played uh, Tulsa, which usually can, you know, get frisky. They beat Tulsa 66 to 17. Dylan Gabriel was 28 of 31 for 421 yards and five touchdowns. This is just an insane run. And uh, just by the way, Andre Anthony, a transfer from Michigan, is one of their better receivers. Just a little bit of pain mm -hmm. for any of you Wolverines out there. Had 112 yards uh, in, this, in this game. So Oklahoma, I just have to put that out there. I've been very impressed. And I think they really do have a great shot to potentially, like you said, I'm not going to crown them yet, they could be the best team in the Big 12. They're going to have a shot in that Texas game. So looking forward to that. Uh, I really don't have a ton else. I don't want to talk too much about Texas-Wyoming just because it's in one of those games that kind of got covered in the survive and advance section. And I think that they did their job. They won. They're going to put that game behind them and improve on whatever issues they have. And we're really not going to know if that means anything until they play a big game like against Oklahoma. 
Yeah, I think even with the Bama win, which we can all admit, that's that's an incredible win. Like, they went to Tuscaloosa. Yeah. You could easily call that the biggest win of the college football season so far, even more than Florida State LSU, because it was actually at Alabama Stadium. It yep. was in their own turf. And so that was incredible. But, of course, there's the whole adage, is Texas back? Is Texas back? I think this week was just a healthy reminder of, okay, we need to actually hold on on that phrase until Texas is in the playoff competing for a chance to win a national championship. And when I say that, I mean get to a playoff semifinal game and have had a chance to win. Maybe they don't pull it off, but I think we really need to wait till that. Ever since that weird Notre Dame game in 2015 or whatever, everyone just wants to stamp one win, automatically Texas is back. Mm -hmm. I think we're smart enough to know now that we don't say that until they're legit competing for a chance to play for a national title. Because what was it, 2018 or 19, they won the Big 12 and they beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. And then they still just dropped off to what they are. So we, we really need to see them competing on the biggest stage before we actually just stamp Texas is back. I, I don't want to hear that the rest of the season until they're in the playoff with a chance to win. All right, take us into, uh, I believe we have the SEC. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I covered a lot of it in the opener. Um, I'll go a little bit more in depth in the Bama game, though, because, <laughs> oh, man, Alabama just, that, that did not look like a Nick Saban coach team. Of course, all the big programs eventually are just not going to have the same talent they once had, especially when Nick Saban has now spent 15 years grooming assistant coaches to go be head coaches elsewhere. Mm -hmm. He now has so many assistant coaches that are head coaches that they're now taking the, from the pool that he was getting. So now Saban is only getting probably 25 to 40 percent of the high recruits that he was once getting just because Georgia is pulling them in. And Texas A&M is honestly pulling them in. And all his other assistants are going out and getting these co or getting these players. And so you're, you're seeing that they don't have the offensive line they used to. They don't have the defensive line they used to. They don't have the skill position players that they used to. Um, we did find out that, that Milrow is 100% their quarterback. <laughs> That's a fact. Uh, Buckner and Simpson are both just nope. Uh, those guys are not it. And if you, they had played Milrow, they probably would have scored in the 30s, I think, that game. Yep. Because uh, it would have fit more of his style as a runner. Um, I don't know. Like When I watched the Alabama game, I kind of was wondering. I was like, why is Jalen Milrow getting so much crap? Like, yeah, I get that he had a couple interceptions, but I was like, he still made some big passes, and he still had to scramble for some yards while he was under duress. I don't know. I actually thought that Milrow got more of the heat in that game for the loss to Texas than he actually deserved. And I it's think very weird for Nick, it's very weird for Nick Saban to make a quarterback switch like that. He's never done that before, so that was really weird, especially for us to see that Jalen Milrow is clearly their best quarterback. I think uh, it. I totally agree that it is kind of jarring to see a coach that many consider to be the greatest of all time, I think, badly handle the quarterback position where you're like, well, Jalen lost against Texas, so let's try out Tyler Buckner. Tyler Buckner is not <laughs> it. And then you try Ty Simpson, and he's not it. 
So that was kind of jarring. But the thing is, with Jalen Milrow against Texas, you did see his ceiling. Yes, he's a great runner. He can escape the pocket. He has a beautiful deep ball. But the intermediate stuff, the reading a defense, there's definitely a ceiling on his game. And I think they're just hoping maybe these other guys could maybe pass surpass him in that area. Clearly, that's not the case. I think Jalen Milrow is the guy going forward. But, yeah, it's a rough position for Alabama. It's something they'll have to manage if they want to have the season that they're used to having. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how, we'll see how they improve. They got, they got a good game this week to try and get back on top. Um, we talked about Georgia, how they eventually looked comfortable at the end, but this is not the impenetrable Georgia. Um, LSU quickly got back on track. And it makes you wonder why on earth did they not call that kind of game against Florida State? It doesn't mean that they were going to win, but it's like it looked like two different coaches calling the game. It's just wild. But LSU, you know, looked like the team to come out of the the West mm-hmm. right now. But there are two two teams quietly sitting three and zero in the SEC West. Uh, Ole Miss three and zero getting ready to head into their Bama matchup. And Auburn is quietly 3-0 and right now as well. Their schedule is not anything to brag about. Their win against Cal is extremely underwhelming when they only scored 14 points. But mm-hmm. they are 3-0 and with, you know, Hugh Freeze at the, at the helm. And if they keep winning and Hugh Freeze keeps developing, they're going to get confidence. So, I mean, watch out for those teams. You know, Ole Miss or Auburn might be the teams that, you know, does Ole Miss cause more chaos by beating Bama? And maybe does Auburn cause chaos by beating LSU? You know, like, to me, those don't seem far-fetched at the moment, especially when we have seen LSU and Jaden Daniels pour, pour out some poor performances. Um, and so the SEC West is definitely much more open than the SEC East. Um, I think the only – I think – to me, I st- I told you there are four teams in the SEC East I thought are going to give Georgia their money, and South Carolina started it. They just they gave Georgia a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, Georgia handled it, but you know, Kentucky's three and zero, and Devin Leary's thrown for over three hundred yards a game. Uh, Florida is starting to look like they could get in a groove and get improved, and Georgia has to go to Tennessee. And I don't know if you ask me those from where we were, you know, five weeks ago talking about it that those three games look just a little bit tougher to come out 3 and 0 than we thought beforehand. Am I wrong? Uh I hope you're right. I still just cannot see Georgia struggling against those teams or maybe they have a South Carolina performance where they're clearly the better team but they let them hang around a bit. Uh but man, I, I would love to see Georgia fall to to those teams. Uh let's go ahead and move on to the last one, ACC. I'm going to just power through because we've talked on some of these like Florida State against Boston College. That did take a little bit of my confidence away from them. I mean, that's just a really bad team that they probably should have lost to. At the same time, it's a look-ahead spot. Probably should have had that uh, if you're a better, like myself, to to pick Florida State in a game where there's a hurricane coming. Turns out it didn't come. But still, you have the hurricane aspect, and then you have a look-ahead spot to Clemson. Probably should have stayed away from that game. And what do you know? Boston College loses by two. Uh, Hmm. North Carolina takes it to Minnesota. It's a game where the spread was seven points. They end up winning 31 to 13. Drake May still hasn't looked quite like the Drake May from last year, but he's still very solid. 
And uh, to be able to score more than 30 on a Minnesota defense that is tough is impressive. So North Carolina, that was a another Cody team that is looking the part. They're ranked and feeling good. And with their schedule, you have to be feeling pretty good as a, as a Tar Heel. Uh, Clemson had a, a get-right game against Florida Atlantic, so that's going to help them with some confidence as they look ahead to Florida State. And that, that maybe makes you think, at, at first I think the whole world would have been on Florida State to win that game. Now you have to take a pause because Florida State looked very mortal and Clemson looked like probably you might say old Clemson when they put up just under 50 points this last week. Uh, last game, well, I'll, I'll mention two more. Syracuse looked pretty good. Syracuse is undefeated. They scored 35 against Purdue at Purdue. And then uh, Cody's Louisville uh, Cardinals. There we go. 21 to 14 over a terrible Indiana team. And That's a huge victory. That's a huge win. <laughs> it's a it's a win, but uh, no, it is not a huge win. And but they also have a very weak schedule, and they're undefeated. So you really can't complain too much. ACC. A lot of teams are doing what they need to do: survive in advance, whether it's pretty or not. They are moving on, and so will we to week four predictions and projections. Let's talk about some of the big games coming up. I'm going to move into the game of the week. So maybe you're listening and you've been waiting to hear, what are these guys going to tell me about Ohio State and Notre Dame? (laughs) And darn it, if I'm not so upset, because for the past two weeks I have been waiting to slam Notre Dame Moneyline and then Ohio State has to flip a switch and look like the old Ohio State that should not lose a game to Notre Dame. And yet I'm so conflicted because Notre Dame has played excellent football for three straight weeks. Sam Hartman has played so efficiently. He's looked like a leader. Uh, Obviously he's a leader. The man's probably like 30 years old. But, hey, he's good at football. Audric Estime is a bull running behind a great offensive line. The, The key here, this is my key to the game. And Cody already highlighted this. Oh, Notre Dame's skill position players, can they stress the Ohio State secondary? Last year, this was a real weakness for Ohio State, and so far it has not been the case. Ohio State secondary has really shown improvement, albeit against lesser opponents. It's hard to take a lot from Indiana, from Youngstown State, However, Youngstown, uh, not Youngstown, I keep thinking Youngstown, Western Kentucky, West Kentucky, whatever, Hilltoppers, they're a passing team, and Ohio State looked pretty good stopping the pass against the Hilltoppers. And so that's my, my key to the matchup there. Is Notre Dame going to stress the secondary of Ohio State? I am starting to think maybe they won't. I think Sam Hartman is going to do well enough to keep it close. The other key is going to be, Notre Dame against Ohio State's offensive line. The the one thing I'll say about Notre Dame is I think that their their defensive line is good, but I don't think that they're great. I think that they are going to be adequate enough for most games, but you really need to take advantage of this Ohio State offensive line. If they're able to harass Kyle McCord, they could make this a game and, and maybe win it outright. Being in South Bend is going to be huge. It's really throwing a wrench into it. Right now, because I tend to lean 
pessimistically that the things, all things in this world aren't as they should be. I'm going to predict that Ohio State's going to win this game. I will say 31 to 28. So it'll be a, a really close barn burner of a game. South Bend is going to be on fire. Uh, and we're all going to enjoy a great game, but man, they just cannot quite upset the Buckeyes. That's my prediction. And I hope I am terribly wrong because, man, I would love to see Notre Dame march up and down the field and make that make that offensive line look like Swiss cheese, man. Just take McCord down. But that's my prediction. If you want to jump in, you can, or if you want to jump into the next game, it's up to you. I'll just say the one thing I've been thinking about this whole time is, for some reason... I feel like Notre Dame is locked into anywhere from 27 to 31 points. I don't know why. For some reason, I feel like they're locked in. The question is, are they going to hold Ohio State to 20 or 24? Or is Ohio State going to get to the 38 to 45 range? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I'm curious to see. Um, I am curious if Sam Hartman can win the game for them. Um, I'm curious because I think Notre Dame has two paths. One... They, Sam Hartman has to win the game for them and prove that he is this QB they've always wanted. Or two, they follow the Michigan pattern where they get enough of a lead that they can ground and pound and just kill the game in the second half, especially with the new running clock rules. Uh, I think those are Notre Dame's two paths to victories. Uh, I think Ohio State's got multiple ways. I think Ohio State could have a heck of a defensive performance with an average offense. I think our offense could absolutely explode. And I think there is the reality where two teams play a close game and Ohio State just has better talent across the board. And that wins the day. Um, And so, which honestly, I do think that's going to be the case. I think this is going to be a competitive game late in the game. I think Ohio State's just got more guys. And, you know, if Harbin can be a great QB, but if, if the Notre Dame receivers can't, create space and they can't make catches under pressure it's not going to matter what sam hartman can do right Mm -hmm. while while for ohio state's receivers you're just hoping that kyle mccord throws the ball within 10 yards of marvin harrison jr and he'll find a way to come down with it Uh, so we'll see it's 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 easily one of the top three matchups of the year it's super exciting i'm extremely nervous and freaking out over this game but it'll be good um moving on um Oh, man, great underrated matchup that I feel like most people maybe didn't even know was happening this weekend is UCLA at Utah. And I'm very, very excited for this UCLA at Utah game. Um, from what I know, Utah will still not have Cam rising. Mm. And it's the farthest thing from an excuse at this point. They beat a quality opponent in Florida. They've had two other game, two other weeks under their belts. At this point, their quarterback situation is not – an excuse because it's not like they started with rising and then he got hurt. They haven't had him <laughs> at all during the summer and everything like yeah. this is their team. And UCLA is coming in a much more balanced team, a more dynamic quarterback. Cause he's better than both of the traits of Utah's quarterbacks put together combined. Like if you try to take, well, what's his face? Williams' passing ability with the other guys, or running ability with the other guys throwing, it's still not as good as Dante Moore. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think UCLA is going to make a statement victory. Um, especially just because Utah is 
back-to-back Pac-12 champs. And any team in any conference will tell you it's tough to 3 P and it's tough to just have it three years in a row, right? Eventually teams come for you. And I think UCLA is set for a statement. Um, Utah, I think, is favored by five points. And so I think it, I think people would be crazy not to at least bet that line. Where is um, this game at? And It's at Utah. Okay, that's big. It is big, but um, I just I don't see UCLA being faced by that. And Utah's defense hasn't necessarily impressed me that much. I feel like Florida more or less self-destructed against Utah. They kept having so many false starts and delay of games that, you know, Utah's defense didn't even really have to make a play. Florida said, hey, let's just make it third and 20 and see what happens. So... <laughs> Um, which well, I don't see UCLA, I don't see that being the case. I see UCLA getting themselves in lots of third and short situations and being really successful. And that's that's one thing. Uh, we're both big Dante Moore guys, but if it's at Utah, you've got the sound of the crowd it's reverberating off of the mountains. I mean, that's a hornet's nest, and he's a freshman, and he's this is his first experience where it's a truly hostile environment. If he navigates this and leads UCLA to a victory, man, I think this is what would maybe put him on the national radar as one of the best quarterbacks in the country. That's just insanity if he pulls that off. I hope you're right. I am a kind He's of He's got Chip Kelly guiding him. That's that's one of the keys. You can't This is a great coaching matchup. Chip Kelly and Kyle Whittingham, great coaching matchup. I I think it's encouraging if you're a Big 10 fan to see the the product that UCLA has put forth and the, the future with a quarterback like Dante Moore. So we'll definitely keep a, a close eye on, uh, on Utah and UCLA. All right, I'll take us into Florida State and Clemson. So <laughs> kind of mentioned this one already with uh, Florida State struggling against Boston College with Clemson really taking off offensively. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I think that Florida State was straight up looking ahead. And while two weeks ago I would have put the farm and the mortgage on Florida State, I'm not that confident, but I'm still going to say I believe Florida State is going to be the team that takes this one. And the reason being, I think that Clemson is not yet quite, even though they scored a lot last week, I don't think their offense is going to be able to put up enough points against Florida State. It's a similar situation where LSU, they didn't score enough to keep up with Florida State. I think it's going to be similar with Clemson. And the thing is, is yeah, Clemson scored a lot this week. It was against Florida Atlantic. You know who else looked really good against Florida Atlantic? Alabama. And we saw what Alabama did against a true opponent in Texas and then a mediocre opponent in USF. So hmm. I, I'm not ready to think that Clemson is all the way back. The keys for that game, straight up, can Clemson keep up offensively? My bet is on no. So I am going to predict this one. Uh, I think because it's at Clemson, it, it should stay competitive. So it's not going to be a game that Florida State runs away with. And if they do, it wouldn't happen until late in the fourth quarter. But I do have yeah. Florida State taking this game and then really just grabbing the ACC by the horns, and everyone's going to basically just say it's probably their conference, even though they're going to have other teams like UNC, Louisville, um, some others I'm not thinking of right now, Miami, that are going to be undefeated. Yeah, I'm, I'm really big on the whole concept of 
what are teams' paths to victory. And at the end of the day, sometimes you can never really predict that. It's really tough. But you can look at what teams have been so far and try to figure it out. I think Clemson's path to victory is the home atmosphere and being there is they need a fast start and they need to play with a lead. I think that's Clemson's path to victory where Cade Klubnick doesn't have to win it with his arm. He would still have to make plays, but Klubnick doesn't have to win it with his arm. And you can maybe have a bigger emphasis on Will Shipley being the one making the big plays for them. And so I think if Clemson finds a way to get a fast start, get a lead, and, and find the ways to maintain a lead, can your defense get good stops every other drive? And then at minimum for Clemson, any other drive, can you find ways to get points to find a way to sustain a lead? I think that's Clemson's path to victory. I do not see a situation where this game becomes a shootout and Clemson can keep up and take the lead. Like, think about the TCU-Colorado game. I cannot see Clemson having the ability to play that way. I think they need to they need to get that lead. And they need to just nurse it. And they need to take advantage of the new clock rules. And they have to limit Florida State's time of possession. They need to limit their possessions overall. And they need to be efficient early on. Because eventually, when Florida State figures them out, their defense is going to overwhelm them. So Clemson's got to, they've got to get enough out the gate and then find a way to hold on. I think that's their path to victory. Absolutely. What, uh, what's our next matchup? Colorado at Oregon. <laughs> We're going to ho- highlight this, every Colorado game from here on out, I'm sure. It is, but it's, it's a ranked matchup. It's two undefeated teams, and it's at Oregon, but this really surprised me. Oregon is 20.5-point favorites. It's a big spread. I thought the line was going to be more around 12.5, Bef- 11.5. That's where I thought the, the line was going to be around. game, that line was at 14. Uh, 14 and a half, I believe. So yeah, close yeah. to what you predicted, but with Colorado showing some warts, that line has skyrocketed up to what did you say, 20 and a half? Yeah, but every team does that. I can't. I, I was shocked when it jumped that much because Colorado State had two weeks to prepare for that Colorado game. They had a bye week already. They had all the time. This was the first game where all the pressure was on Colorado as being the better team instead of that. I do think the Colorado State game was very circumstantial because when push came to shove at the end of the game, you saw the difference between Colorado and Colorado State. Even though it wasn't that way for majority of the game, once it mattered the most, you saw the difference. And so I'm really curious because Bo Nix is a great QB, but which team is throwing the better QB out in the field? <laughs> There's a very easy argument that you're throwing that Shador Sanders. You know, I don't want to take anything away from Bo Nix, but... Um, I mean, Colorado, I think, has the edge in QB and skill position players. I do think they have the edge. I think Oregon has the edge everywhere else. Yeah. Both sides of the line, linebackers and secondary, Oregon clearly has the edge on that. And so, but the question is, is which Bo Nix are we going to get? Are we going to get this reformed Bo Nix? Or is all of a sudden now the fact that Oregon's got a big game, is he going to turn into the Bo Nix that can become very problematic, who can be very erratic, who can turn the ball over fairly easily and be his team's worst enemy. And so I think I think actually the biggest storyline in this game is does does Bo Nix prove that he there he is a new Bo Nix, he's a better Bo Nix, or is he who he always was? Because the one thing Colorado will do 
is they'll go out and get points. I'm expecting Colorado to get at least 28 points minimum. I'd be shocked if they didn't score four touchdowns in that game. Maybe find a way to get it. The question is, is Oregon going to come out and hang up 40, maybe even close to 50? I think that's the question for Oregon is are they going to be able to put up that much? I, I, would def, I definitely am picking Oregon to win. I do not like the 20 and a half point spread, especially because it very much feels like Oregon could be up three touchdowns and Colorado gets a late TD to make it 45, 31, you know, <laughs> like that, that doesn't that feel like the right score 45 to 31. It does. The, the one thing I will say is uh, staying up uh, last night for that Colorado game against Colorado state, Colorado really was bottled up for the majority of that game. And then they just Colorado State let that game go longer than it should have. And Shadur Sanders, in about a quarter, quarter and a half, he added about 200, 250 yards to his total. And deep into the game, he had just in the 100 or so yards. And I can see Oregon maybe taking some of that game plan with superior athletes. They might make it harder. Travis Hunter is not going to play in this game. I don't believe it's no. been official, but I I heard that he was in the hospital and that he's most likely going to miss a couple weeks at minimum. So, Dion said he's expecting three weeks minimum to miss. So that's huge. I mean, he's one of your better receivers, obviously yeah. uh, your best cornerback. So, mm-hmm. I I could see Oregon take you know running away with it, but you know I don't want to doubt Colorado because I was a I was a non-believer, and now they sit here three and zero. So it's going to be a huge game. Uh, I'm. I'm pretty stoked for it. I don't really have a good feel, but I have a. It'll be huge. If I have a lean, maybe it might be Oregon, to uh, to win and cover, but maybe that's just me being a doubter. Yeah, I still I still don't feel good enough to to give Oregon to cover, but the the it's in lack Eugene. of presence of Travis Hunter. It's in Eugene, and without Travis Hunter, I I don't think because it's not just the talent you get on both sides of the ball. I think I think the team believes in themselves so much more yeah. when Travis Hunter is on the field and he's making that presence. So, I mean, he'll obviously be there for the game, but he's not going to be playing. So, I think that makes a huge difference. Without Travis Hunter, I can't pick Colorado to win the game. I really wanted to, but no Travis Hunter, I can't pick them. I am picking Colorado to cover the spread. All right. I'll go into my last matchup, and that is what probably will be one of the uglier games next week, but it's a big one nonetheless. Iowa at Penn State. This is a game where it's probably going to be lower scoring. I think it's going to be very similar to when Michigan went to Iowa City last year, and they... I don't know the, t- the score off the top of my head, but it, they basically got out to a 20-0 to zero lead and then just sat on it, and eventually it was like 21-12 to like 12 or something. It was really ugly. But what Penn State's going to probably do is emulate that game plan. They want Drew Aller to manage the game and not make mistakes because I believe the only way Iowa can win this game is if their defense scores some points. They need a pick they six. Need- Two touchdowns yes. from their defense or special teams. A, they have a to punt have two block touchdowns. for a touchdown. So if Penn State just kind of puts it in, on cruise control, they're not going to do anything crazy. They probably get away with a comfortable win, but not necessarily anything that's going to be, you know, a aesthetically pleasing game. So I don't want to 
belabor this too much. I don't think Iowa is a truly serious contender to go into Happy Valley and get a win because their offense has not been impressive. 40-plus points against Western Michigan does not move me, and I expect them to score less than 20 against Penn State, and Penn State should roll out of bed scoring more than 20. So I'm feeling confident for Penn State. That's my prediction. I don't. I guess I can pull up the spread here and see what that officially is. Uh, make a pick real quick, but uh, it's actually 14 points, so that's a lot bigger 14 than I. 14 on the dot. Yeah, that's that's bigger than I thought. Uh, I wish it was 13 and a half. I think that might be an Iowa lean to cover, but definitely I'm I'm picking Penn State to win. But I'm not gonna spend too much time because that is a game that will not be that fun to watch. You know what? I'm actually I want to challenge you on that for a second. I am curious if this becomes a game where the quarterbacks duel it out at the end, and Cade kind of takes Iowa to a new level of hey, like we have to rely on a passing game. And Cade has played in Happy Valley and won before. He did it in 2021, so he's not going to be in an environment that. He hasn't been it before. Now, if I'm not mistaken, is it the whiteout this weekend? Yes. Okay, so it is the whiteout. So there will be that added factor. But he has done it in Penn State before. And he, so he's done it's it not in Penn State, territory. but it was not because it it was not because of him. It was he didn't No, but he made a big throw late to Eric All, who he still has, which was <laughs> the defining factor in that game. Yes, he threw one crossing route that Eric All took fifty yards. Uh, here's here's my point. Still, if you're like, saying that he's going to okay. outsling Drew Aller, here's Cade McNamara's stats in a game where Iowa put up 41 on Western Michigan. 9 of 19, 103 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Cade McNamara... Now that's an Iowa quarterback if I've ever heard of one. He needs to triple the, those yard, that yardage total if he wants to compete against Penn State. And that's not something he did even... When he was playing for Michigan, he wasn't putting up numbers like that, except for once against Michigan State, who had the worst yeah. secondary in college football. That will not yeah. be the case in Happy Valley. They have a fantastic secondary. They do. At the same time, just I do love just important details like this, that this is Drew Aller's first real game. This is his first real game. And... Cade McNamara is a veteran. You can say what you want about his stats beforehand, uh, where he is now, everything in between, but he is a veteran who has won the Big Ten and went to the college football playoff. And so at, at the end of the day, I think that matters to some degree because Cade has been there in close games. He's been there to help his team win. He at least knows what pressure feels like. Drew Aller might not know what this national spotlight pressure feels like yet. And I do think factors like that matter. Now, we'll find out if Drew Aller is just cool Joe McGee and is ready to roll out. And it's not going to matter. We'll find that out. But I do think that detail does matter to some degree. Because these aren't professionals. These are, you know, Drew Aller's what, 19 years old and... Cade McNamara's 30. And so at some point that just, I do think that detail matters of just experience and knowing what this pressure is like and knowing what the atmosphere is like. Because if 
Penn State starts off slow, and let's say Iowa gets one good drive, and then they get a defensive turnover, and all of a sudden it's fourteen to three. Look at that! Look at that Iowa South or South Carolina Georgia game. Let's just say Iowa is up fourteen to thirteen. I'd be very worried for Penn State mm-hmm. if their only path in is you got to keep throwing against an Iowa secondary that's known for turnovers. Yes, that game script would be very worrisome for the Nittany Lions, but my prediction is that they are not going to ask him to do very much. And I think that if they keep him on the game script where they get him you know, just a little bit of a lead, they can incrementally grow it, and they can win by 10 points. They can win by 13 points, and heck, they might win by 17 points. But either way, I don't think it's where they're going to say, hey, let's just go kill these guys. It's no, we're going to beat them. We've got the crowd. We've got the superior talent. Just like Michigan against Iowa last year, they they didn't ask J.J. McCarthy to do squat. But they knew with a couple easy reads, we're going to put this game on a silver platter, make one read, make the throw, hand the ball off to your great running back, and you're going to get out of here with a W today. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm picking Penn State to cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, think, I, think, I think Franklin is going to make a statement. I think he's going to try to. I think he's going to try and say, like, listen, we are not the Penn State of old where you just can, like, maybe kind of glide by and barely do it. I think he wants a big statement victory. And so, yeah, I want to make it interesting and raise a couple situations where Iowa competes. But I think, I think Penn State's covering for sure. And I think Franklin is trying – I think he's trying to say that his team is different and that he's different now. Uh, I hope not because I love bashing James Franklin. There's not a – He's oh, it's great. Not an easier uh, guy to hate on than him. I don't know why. I just I love it. Take us into the last matchup. Because he, he looks he looks like he's ready to say Hell Hydra at any <laughs> single moment. That's why. I don't know if so. that's something you're allowed to say about a man, but we'll allow it. Uh, what is our final matchup we want to preview? So there technically is two, but the last one I have, I'm just going to ask you to pick them. I'm not going to okay. I'm not going to put you anything in there. The last one that I really want to preview is because I'm keeping the Pac-12 thing going. Oregon State, Washington State. It is a mm-hmm. matchup of three and O ranked Pac-12 teams. Who would have thought? I know, right? That's just absurd to say, but I feel like this is a pivotal matchup between which one of these teams has a chance to still be a contender around week seven, week eight, when maybe they get another big matchup. I think this is a, this is a must win for each one of these teams to, to be able to have it. And so you kind of have got the Jonathan Smith more, as, we, as I said before, the kind of ground and pound, smash mouth. He's real physical football. Well, Washington State is kind of proven to be a little bit of this finesse team that's got an ability of a pretty good explosive offense. They've got a good QB, they've got a good running back, they've got a couple decent receivers to get the ball to, so it's definitely two, I think, opposite styles of football that are going to clash on the football field, and my heart so badly wants to pick Oregon State, but I'm going to tell you, I think this Ward kid at Washington State is extremely, he's been impressive, extremely underrated, and I think there's a chance that he carries them to win. And so Oregon State is a two and a half point favorite in this game on the road. And I am going to pick Washington State to take this game. All right. I do not have a 
a lean on that one. Uh, I guess if I had to, I usually go with the coach that I'm more comfortable in, which is Jonathan Smith. So I think I might might go with Oregon State there. But that's a game where, like you mentioned, if you looked at that game in the offseason, you would think that's a flyover game. No one's going to care. It's a ranked matchup between two Pac-12 foes. So that's one where I'm not sure what time that game is on, but I'm going to try to keep an eye on it. Hopefully it's later. I want to say it's at 7 o'clock. Okay, so that might be a, a nice one to to maybe accompany that uh, Ohio State-Notre Dame game. 7.30. Oh, wait, no, that's, that's Iowa-Penn State. I don't know how I just got that mixed up. Where is – yeah, 7 p.m., on Fox. All right. Oregon State at Washington State. That'll, that'll be uh, right in that prime prime window. So what's what's your last game you want me just to pick? Uh, just, I'll give you the opponents. I'll give you the spread. Ole Miss at Alabama. Alabama is favored by six and a half points. Six, what are you doing? Six and a half. I'm going to take Bama. Uh, Ole Miss, while being undefeated, they haven't really just impressed me yet. I still have that Tulane game stuck in my head where Tulane really should have won the game. Their quarterback, who is very talented, did was unable to play for the majority of that game or maybe any of it. I'm not sure. But Ole Miss did not impress me in that game. And I know Alabama is not impressive either, but I just believe in Alabama, especially when it happens to be a game against Ole Miss. I feel like Nick Saban has Lane Kiffin's number. So, yeah. Give me the the tide, six and a half. They can do that, especially with Jalen Milrow. The... He's gonna be back to his wagon status. He's gonna be chucking the ball downfield. He's running the ball downfield. Bama's gonna take it. They'll win by at least seven. I do think Milrow is set to be able to do some good things, but give me the Admiral Akbar running Rebels, man. <laughs> I just, I think this is the year that. All the Nick Saban former assistants take revenge. And it started with Steve Sarkeesian. And next it's Lane Kiffin. And then it's Jimbo Fisher. And then it's, you know, (laughs) all the other ones that are out there. I think I think one by one what puts him into retirement. All the former assist all the former assistants just are like, We've had enough, Nick. This is it. And so I the one thing I will say is I do think Ole Miss is a more balanced team than Bama. Bama doesn't have impressive offensive or defensive lines. Um, they've been very sporadic when either the pass is better or the run is better. And I do think Ole Miss has just been more even across the board. And in a close game, I think that can help carry Ole Miss. And like I said, they've they've got the running back. If Ole Miss gets a lead, they've got the running back to just start creating long drives and kill that clock and, you know, Put Jaden, put Jalen Moreau in a panic like they did against Texas, and make him turn the ball over. So I, I, I very much think Ole Miss can go win this game. Nothing's going to shock me if Bama wins, but I'll pick the Rebels. The one thing I'll say to your side with te- the Texas game, it took Quinn Ewers making some really nice downfield throws, some receivers making some nice catches. I have been impressed with Jackson Dart. I think that with him at quarterback. He might be able to threaten that Bama secondary, which is vulnerable. So that is a point on the Ole Miss side. I just sometimes think with the assistance, I think they get in their own head. Maybe they see that Saban's vulnerable and that gives them the confidence they need. 
and I, maybe I'm just always late to the party to predict something to happen. But, man, he does seem to generally get the best of his assistants. So I'll stick with my pick. But, boy, I do see your side of it with a great running game, the ability to throw the field, the ball down the field with Jackson Dart. Ole Miss could take it to Bama, and I would, I'll be cheering for him. Just like I cheered for Boston College against Florida State, I'll be cheering on those Rebels. However, got to stick with, uh, with Bama just because it's tried and true through history. If you pick Bama, you'll, you'll do okay. Do you got anything else before we uh, sign off? I think we just kind of wanted to give our updated Heisman lists. We're a few weeks in, and right. we can do that. And so I'll give mine. I've got four. Four is kind of always my number that I like to sit on because I always think four is the number that should be invited to the Heisman f- ceremony, and I've kind of like to do it. And for me, this first one, I have just decided to leave Caleb Williams off. This is a no Caleb Williams list, not because I think he's not deserving to be in the top four, just he's three games in, not having really played a real opponent. And so I want to talk about the ones that we're getting excited about. And then maybe after a couple weeks, I'll finally be like, okay, this is really where Caleb Williams is right now compared to everyone else. So my top four is not including him just for the sake of getting other names in the conversation. First one I've got is Michael Penix. All right. I've got him top of the... Heisman board. Um, second, I do have Shador Sanders. Uh, I think he's playing rights out. Third, you mentioned him earlier. He's getting zero love. I've got Dylan Gabriel as my third okay. on the Heisman list. I think he's just been lighting it up like crazy against some really crappy teams, but he's got Heisman stats like they, everyone wants. They beat Texas. He'll be there. Yep. And then four, I'm going to eat crow. I got Sam Hartman at number four. Uh, I actually – Probably should have included uh, Dylan Gabriel, but he he was not on my list. But you named about everyone I had. I had number one, Caleb Williams. I haven't seen anything from him. In fact, I've been more impressed with him. I know the opponents are not quality, but I think the plays he makes, they translate to any level of football against any opponent. Just unreal throws. Off platform, he flicks the ball, it goes 50 yards. He doesn't have to step into it. Unbelievable stuff. So I still think he's a strong number one. I have Michael Penix, number two. I have Shadur Sanders, number three. And I do have um, Sam Hartman, number four. So we're we're of one accord there, which is good. But we'll see how that adjusts once these big games go through. Uh, Sam Hartman, he could take a tumble down after this week. He might climb up to number one after this week. We'll, we'll see. Could. And, of course, uh, Shadur playing the Oregon Ducks could could do the same thing. So uh, do you want to get into playoffs, or should we leave that for maybe next week once we've seen some of these quality games? Yeah, I think I think we got some really big matchups coming up that let's just let's, – let's touch on that afterwards because something tells me we're just going to be – Blow it up. everything up and starting <laughs> over. So I say I say we wait till after next week to really start looking at playoff predictions. That's, that sounds good. So we'll, we'll look forward to that. We'll look forward to recapping – next week because we know it's going to be explosive no matter what happens because we got a bunch of ranked on ranked matchups and even the ones that aren't ranked they're probably going to be some barn burners if you stuck with us this long you are a real one we appreciate you and uh, we hope you come back next time for another episode of football frenemies for cody tool time thomas i'm brandon jones thanks and we'll see you next time